Uh, hi guys, Russell here. Um, so as I sort of discussed in my newsletter uh, post, my last post, I've been thinking about currencies for a long time. Um, and currency has been the one area that probably uh, more than anything else uh, really convinced me it was time to give back money when I was managing money because they just stopped trading the way that they used to trade. And the whole sort of investment process I built up was looking at how currencies work and they generally tended to surprise people so you could put on trades, which would then make a lot of money suddenly across the board. Uh, and I would say currencies don't trade that the same way as they used to, which is why I've called this currencies in a pro-labor world. Um, and with a subtitle of, of, of why is it no longer a safe haven currency. Um, so I'm going to talk you through some of the observations, you know, what I've been looking at, what other people say, and then what I think is happening, which I think makes the most possible sense. Um, so, you know, uh, I did write a, a post about trying to think about a strong dollar model, which sort of based around the idea of uh, the most technologically advanced countries should have a strong currency. That, that model doesn't quite work. Uh, it's an idea, but it didn't quite work. And I think what I've got now is a bit better. Um, I've tried to be open-minded. So uh, I've also looked at uh, Brett Johnson, our Santiago Capital's dollar milkshake, which has been, you know, to his credit, a pretty good model, much better than anything I've got. Um, uh, you should have heard of him. He's got a lot of followers on Twitter. A Real Vision have done a, a video, uh, you know, exclusively about talking about his theory. Uh, this is a screenshot of it, but you, uh, you can find it quite easily if you go onto Twitter. Um, you know, and in essence, you know, what Brett was saying is like stronger, uh, much tighter financial policy in the States should drive a much stronger dollar. It's, it's actually pretty simple. A real vision then go into, you know, how a strong dollar is disastrous for the world economy, which is a real vision way. Um, and, and, you know, it makes a lot of sense. You know, and if, and in some ways you could probably just stop there if you want to and, and just leave it and you go, dollar's going to be strong, that's fine. Uh, you know, and let's just leave it at that. The problem for me is that it doesn't really match up with a lot of other things I'm seeing in the world. Um, and, you know, in the, the subtitle, particularly yen, for me, it's been very surprising because this current, the yen is cheap and keeps getting cheaper. You know, and it's very the opposite of what it used to do for the best part of 30 years. You know, and that's what I'm trying to say is the Japanese have been desperately trying to devalue the yen for 30 years. Why is it working now when it hasn't worked before? You know, that is one of the questions that, you know, I really bugs me. Uh, you know, and, you know, if if I was a less honest person, I'd just ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist or go and you know, not talk about it. But that's not my style. I really, when something bugs me, I want to have an answer for it because then at least you can try and adjust what you do and, be, and then follow the logic of that and perhaps find something else interesting to do. Um, and here I put in a chart of the yen. You can see that, you know, back in the 90s when it first entered this crisis, it tried to devalue it and failed, completely failed. And uh, what normally, you know, it really, really failed. Um, but this time, uh, since 2013, gangbusters. Yeah, that is, the yen has been able to weaken significantly and continues to weaken to my surprise. So, you know, let's take the Brett uh, Johnson's sort of real vision dollar milkshake theory. And what they're saying is that US dollar strength is typically associated with financial crises. 
Uh, and that is particularly true in emerging markets that tend to borrow in US dollars and need US dollars. And that's you know, something they both highlight, that dollar liquidity becomes tight. And that tends to be very bad for emerging markets. And I would normally have agreed with that. That statement is, normal, is factually true. And what I show here is the dollar index versus what's called the EMBI bond spread. EMBI bond spread is basically if you, like in the euro crisis, a spread between uh, two different dollar bonds. So unlike with Europe, it doesn't show European crises, it shows emerging market crises. So what you can see is during the GFC, emerging market bond spreads blew out. Uh, and so a lot of people who are very long emerging markets in 2008 got crushed. And then, you know, for me, uh, you know, one of the big trades I had back in 15 was very short, a lot of emerging markets. Uh, and then when the Fed started to tighten its policy, which you probably remember, uh, dollar, dollar strengthened a lot and emerging market bonds spread, but they never got as wide as I thought they would. And what is really interesting is like from 15 through the 20, the dollar has, you know, sort of stayed in this range. And what we've seen in 21, 22, 23, this dollar has been super strong. But actually, emerging market bond spreads are at levels that I would associate with being quite bullish. So the connection between a strong dollar and emerging market weakness or emerging market financial stress has been broken. And this is in line with a lot of things I was saying is that currencies and macro data don't seem to match up anymore. Um, and there are other oddities, you know, if you go and look at the currency markets. So when I start thinking about currencies, to really simplify, I often ask myself a hypothetical question. What if, uh, you know, someone forced me to leave uh, all my money, all my savings in one currency for 10 years and said, you have to leave it in that currency? Uh, uh, and, you know, I go, okay. What I tend to do then is like just pick out a hypothetical. So, for example, let's take Canadian dollars or Mexican peso. You have to leave all your money in a savings account, one of those two currencies. Which ones are you going to choose? Now, why have I chosen Canadian? You know, now, with that particular example, I would probably always choose Canadian dollars. Why? Well, you know, historically, if you look at Canadian dollars versus Mexican peso, Canadian dollars has always been better. It tends to have more sound fiscal policy, tends to be more politically stable. Um, and if you look at the long-term log performance of that, you know, from the 70s onwards, you've always wanted to be Canadian dollars versus Mexican peso. And that has been generally true. You know, Mexico has improved. It's not as hyperinflationary as it was in the 70s or 80s, but it's, you know, generally pretty being pretty poor. And we used to say in currency markets, no one's ever gone bust showing Mexican peso. However, if you look at that log graph, what you can see is that in recent times, Mexican peso has been very strong, super strong. And so if we take it out of log and, and reduce the time frame, what you can see is, you know, we had the big sell-offs in the 16 one then the COVID sell-off, but then strengthened again. And then we suddenly had this very strong uh, Mexican peso over the last couple of years. Very odd. Um, Typically, when I looked at the, the peso, what I would say is you get a sell-off, you might get a counter-trend rally for a while, but then the sell-off will return. So any sort of rally in the peso was just an opportunity to short more as positioning sort of got flattened out, you know. And that was always used to work for me. No longer, right? Here you can see the peso is strengthened beyond previous levels that we saw from 17 through to 2022, to very, very strong levels, levels we haven't seen since 2014, 15. So the, that way, that sort of, you know, what I would call in currency markets, losers tend to continue to be losers and winners tend to be continue to be winners is no longer true. 
And if we look at you know, an example of that is yen. Yen always used to be a winning currency. The peso used to be always a losing currency. So I used to love being long yen, short peso. That has been a winning trade until 2020 and then a massively loss-making trade uh, from 2020 onwards, like massively loss-making. And one of the reasons why uh, I had no problem giving money back in 2021 because I probably would have continued with this trade for 22, 23 because that's historically been a money-making trade into a bear market, particularly a US bear market. It's not the case. The other thing about it, which is about the Mexican peso, which was very odd, is I used to trade or short Mexican peso as a sort of play on the chronic mismanagement of Pemex. Pemex is a state-owned oil company. It's so badly managed, it's, it's a joke, really. Uh, and what I used to do is if you saw, so here in this chart, you can see the Pemex CDS, so this is, which is owned by the state and the debt is guaranteed by the state. So when Pemex CDS starts to blow out, you tend to think, okay, Mexico is getting in trouble here. Peso is going to take it, uh, take it badly. Uh, and what you can see is the, you know, when the Pemex CDS is selling off, as it's done over the last couple of years, the peso has strengthened. So like I said, you know, the, the old model is not really working uh, for, pe- for Mexico and it's not really working for, for yen. Um, you know, why is the yen able to weaken now? Why is it able to weaken when it couldn't do it after this enormous financial crisis in the 90s where property prices collapsed, the debt blew out, the yen couldn't weaken. And now Japan looks awry and the yen keeps weakening. So what's changed, right? So I think the real problem the Japanese used to have was that from like the 80s onwards or 70s, 80s onwards, the US wanted to drive globalization, which meant lower tariffs, lower barriers to trade. And the Japanese have very competitive exporters. And so the US sort of basically was like, okay, everyone needs to cut tariffs. We are going to police this so that people can't set artificially low exchange rates to steal market share, right? Uh, And so you have to let the market control your exchange rate. And the Japanese, of course, followed this rule. But, you know, so they tried to do what is called beggarly neighbor type currency devaluations. But the problem was in a globalized free market, when the yen devalued like it did in the early 90s, it would then put pressure on Korea, China, and elsewhere to devalue. And so they, they were, this beggarly neighbor would then come back to them. And, and you know, that was it. yen weakness created the Asian financial crisis. I also think it helped create the global financial crisis. So they, the Japanese would try to devalue and then people would devalue back against them, which is why it created this sort of safe haven type of uh, uh, attitude to the yen. And the way I sort of think about it as well is Japanese are super efficient, right? Super efficient. So as global tariffs came down, the Japanese would naturally be taking more market share and profitability be good, which was good for the yen. So from like the sort of, you know, through the 80s and 90s, as global tariff rates dropped, the yen had this strong upward pressure because its exporters were doing so well. Okay, so globalization and lower tariffs is good for the yen. And the Bank of Japan was there desperately trying to stop that from happening because they, they'd overbuild their domestic property market and other things. But the, every year the tariffs were getting cut. And I put it in this uh, chart that I've stolen off the internet just showing average tariffs. We know that's roughly true. This one stops in 2015. So what's changed? So, you know, uh, you know, the reality is that the tariffs between the two largest economies in the world, China and the US, is no longer 
sub 10%. Uh, since 2018, it's been rising uh, and now is probably close to 20% uh, on products between them. And of course, there's a trade war between the US and China, but the one that also US and Europe of aluminum and steel. Um, and so you know that we're no longer in a falling tariff world. Candidate Trump is mulling a 10% across the board tariff because what we've seen is a lot of Chinese exports have been re-exported by third-party nations to avoid the tariffs. So, you know, we're now back into a tariff world and, you know, Biden has not cut these tariffs. So we know that whoever wins the next US election is going to keep pushing tariffs. So that's bad for the end. That makes a lot of sense to me. How is that good for Mexico? Well, you know, uh, if the Japanese, if China is becoming less competitive uh, and people are more obsessed with French shoring, then Mexico, which is right across the border, you can just drive a truck, becomes more and more attractive. Uh, and that is probably why the peso doesn't move in line with the, the creditworthiness of Pemex anymore because it's, it's attracting capital flows because of its positioning in the south of the states, which is where all the growth is. Uh, it doesn't have any of the issues with if there was a problem with Taiwan, which would cut off exports from the state, from Japan to the US. That's not a problem with Mexico. And so, you know, everything that for me makes a lot more sense. That's a much better model. And it fits in with my sort of world is shifting pro-labor, which it tends to imply that yen weakness is here to stay. Uh, and implies as a, you know, which means that if Japan wants to grow, they probably do need to get some inflation. They need to get wage inflation or whatever, which they might get through yen weakness, which explains why Japanese bond markets continue to be weak. So the world has changed. And what this really says is, uh, for me, is a currency analysis now without political analysis is completely worthless. Uh, and what I still see is a lot of analysis on currencies is all macro and ignores the politics. So it's worthless. You can ignore it, I think, easily. This analysis makes a lot more sense. And now I have to think about where it's not being priced correctly and how potentially we can make money from that. Hope that makes sense. Uh, stay safe. I'll talk again soon. Ciao.